Talking Wellness with Developmental Services staff, a podcast for direct service professionals in Ontario's developmental services sector. I'm Sue Hutton. I'm a social worker and mindfulness teacher at the CAMH Azraeli Adult Neurodevelopmental Centre. And this podcast series is on well-being of direct staff, and we'll end each episode with some practical mindfulness tools. We'll be talking with staff from all across Ontario in all kinds of different roles supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. so excited to introduce the two amazing women who are our guests on the Talking Wellness podcast today. They both hail from Community Living Thunder Bay and the beautiful thing about this duo is I invited Lisa Foster, the Executive Director of Community Living Thunder Bay, to join us and Lisa said, This sounds like a fantastic idea, but only if I can bring my union president, because it's so important to have the voice of the union president representing all of our, all of our staff who are unionized. So I thought that was pretty cool. Lisa Foster is the executive director of Community Living Thunder Bay. Lisa's worked in the sector since 1985. She's worked in a variety of direct support and management roles before moving to Thunder Bay to join Community Living Thunder Bay in 2013. Lisa enjoys painting and hiking and photography and boy oh boy does she enjoy photography. She is a meditative photographer who I love looking at her pieces because they just bring me into the present moment. Cindy Mazan started working at Community Living Thunder Bay in 1994 and is currently the president of OPSU Local 740. Cindy is married with two boys and enjoys camping, working out, and particularly loves fishing. After we finished reporting the the podcast, Cindy said, well, I'm about to go out into the woods, into the forest and catch some fish. So (laughs) she knows how to take care of herself. So welcome to Talking Wellness. I'm extremely excited that on today's podcast, we have none other than Lisa and Cindy, both from Community Living Thunder Bay. And I am really excited to hear these two incredible women talk about their work. And can I ask you guys just to open it right up and why don't you introduce yourselves, tell us about your role and a little bit about what brought you to this work and can we start with you Lisa and then go to Cindy sure um, so my role at Community Living Thunder Bay is uh, executive director and um, I'm trying to think what it was it was more of a journey that brought me to this uh, to this work and I think it started in I'm gonna age myself but in 1985 <laughs> I was working in a privately run uh, for-profit uh, group home in St. Thomas, where I grew up. And um, I really, I had a bit of a rough adolescence and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with myself, um, but I had this part-time job and I had a wonderful support network that um, really wanted to kind of push me into thinking about um, finishing my high school 
and moving on. And um, this wonderful um, Irish lady that I used to hang out with, uh, she um, she had family. She had a, a, a son that had gone into the at that time the developmental services worker program, and just uh, I think by knowing me. Um, felt that that was the course I needed to take. <laughs> and mm. I really honestly didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I kind of wanted to go into rec therapy, but I, I was waitlisted in uh, in London at Fanshawe. Yep. And um, she just felt strongly that I needed to, to move on and basically call, help, made me call the college and get registered. <laughs> and I had really no idea what I was getting into. But then I fell in love with it. <laughs> I'm so glad that somebody did push you when you're an adolescent and say you got to do this. Um, because for everyone listening, if you've never heard Lisa Foster speak um, about the work, Lisa just exudes authenticity and and genuine caring for not only the people that you support, but the staff that you support to do that work. So um, Lisa, you're in the right place. So I'm, you know, I'm so glad that you, that you're doing this and you're such an inspiration. And uh, I sure was blown away when I heard you speak at the conference, uh, the Community Living Ontario conference at uh, Thunder Bay a couple years ago. You just, you, um, you stand out as a, as what we want to see in leadership. So we're really Thank lucky. You. Yeah, I mean it. I mean it too. And Cindy, we're really lucky. I love it when I invited Lisa to come on the on the podcast. Lisa said, well, you know what? Not without representation from the union. And that right there said so much. So Cindy, can you tell us a bit about your role and uh, what brought you here? Sure. How do I follow up with that with Lisa? <laughs> and, and I will add, she's an amazing executive director. Um, so I started 27 years ago at Community Living. It was a job that I never, ever thought I would do. Um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I just happened to have a neighbor who was a supervisor and I got hired. And here I am 27 years later, loving every minute of it. We're old, eh, you guys? Like, we're, we're, we're old. Yes. <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. And um, which makes it all the more amazing that you know you guys really walk the talk and, and bring these values so why don't we jump right into it so we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic so we know the stresses and the challenges that people have experienced you know and developmental service professionals have experienced way before the pandemic started it was already a profession in which morale is often low, people are unseen, people work tirelessly um, for poor pay, you know, and so we, we know that we know that there's um that people are pretty amazing and aren't being recognized the way they should. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And we know that we know this, the advocacy that's happening, the change that we're trying to do, like, People in developmental services sector were not were not supported initially, right? Just from the government level. Um, this was not only in Canada and Ontario, but in the States. Like we've been hearing about these awful situations where like PPE wasn't in place. And there's just policies, government policies weren't really supporting uh you know, people with developmental disabilities, like, what have you guys seen? Can you just tell me a little bit about what's your take been on, on how the pandemic has affected developmental services staff? This was a question, actually, that I was asking some of my colleagues. 
and yeah so our our developmental services is predominantly female um workers so as a female um during the pandemic we are responsible for running our home keeping our children educated most students weren't at school so women in our field we were juggling our jobs and trying to educate our children um, not only that, we also were taking care of our elderly family members um, while still working full-time, part-time, and, and casual um, hours because we didn't have the luxury of working from home. The majority of devel developmental services workers still are working outside the home, yet juggling childcare, elderly family members, um, and running a household. So I think that is the biggest stressor that we are experiencing with COVID. Um, community Living's done an amazing job at keeping people safe. And every anytime I asked anybody if they ever felt unsafe at work because of COVID, and the answer was always no. That we've had, there were so many precautions put in place that that was never an issue um, for us here in Thunder Bay anyways. Wow, well, I have to say, Cindy, you bringing up you know, all of the, the list of things that women are doing during the pandemic, you know, like providing services for other people, looking after the kids, looking after aging parents, handling all the stresses. I, I actually was feeling butterflies in my stomach just thinking of all those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm also a single mom. <laughs> and uh, boy, oh boy, it's been, yeah, it's been a journey. Um, yeah, so you, you just, you named a lot. And Lisa, what, what, what are some of your thoughts on how the, how the pandemic's affected uh, developmental services workers? Um, so I um, I was a little, I, I, I think I kind of felt like our sector was abandoned in the early months of the pandemic. I know that's a strong word, but I mean, eventually I think um, as, you know, uh, the ministry was struggling to, you know, figure out how to support us, I think they came through. But for me, I felt like the first few months we were we were quite a bit on our own in terms of trying to find um, protective equipment for our staff, figuring out protocols, like, um, thank God for Cindy, because um, in, in our local health unit, we were able to put, hammer out some pretty good protocols and guidance for ourselves in the beginning. But I really had a, a sense that we were in the first, you know, I, I, I want to say at least two or three months, we were kind of on our own. And that yeah. to me was a terrifying thing. Um, uh, you know, we had to, um, uh, compete with everyone else on the planet at the same time trying to find uh, masks and and uh, it just you know all kinds of protective mm -hmm. gear for our staff and um, like I just I was so horrified by that and I just kept thinking because you know I'd, I'd work frontline like how are our staff going to feel safe coming to work like and how are the people we support going to feel safe and how are they how are our staff going to you know, deal with the fact that all the things that we care about and love in our traditions and the things we do to, to help regulate ourselves um, when we're stressed have been taken away from us, you know, and uh, it's just, to me, it was such an overwhelming um, task um, for, um, for our staff that um, I'm kind of rambling now, but I just, I just was really struck with the enormity of, of what was in front of us and how ill-prepared we were, um, you know, as, I mean, and this was all over the world, obviously it just wasn't our sector, it just wasn't our province, but um, it, it was just a really, I, I think I was fairly um, overwhelmed by the amount of 
um, stress that our staff had to deal with every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And which shows how connected you are. And at least I think that's part of what uh, makes you so amazing is you spent a lot of years as a frontline worker. How, how many years were you a frontline worker before you became director? Um, so I, I think uh, at least uh, 15, maybe 15 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a long time. And I worked a lot in group living as well. So yeah. So um, you get it. I could really you... identify. Yeah. Right. Right. So but I think I think what you've said, I mean, we're, we're starting to see as we emerge. Yeah. Yeah. Developmental services was definitely left behind in terms of, uh, you know, ministry planning. And um, like you said, there's some good things that have come out, the pandemic pay and a few things that I'm hearing staff say, you know, making them feel better. But I like how, Lisa, you're, you're saying and your, you know, your main concern was how are staff going to feel this? How is this going to affect our staff? And you talked a little bit about the regulating, like how are staff going to be able to maintain a sense of balance in being able to deliver the work that they need to deliver in the midst of this crisis? And that's what I heard you speak about at that conference that made me think you're just head and shoulders above so many other leaders I've seen that you have your feet on the ground being aware of what this has got to be like for staff, right? And can you talk a little bit, I mean, I know you were doing stuff long before the pandemic to help staff have some resources for their own mental health. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? And then Cindy will get you to share some of your thoughts on that too. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm really proud that we, um, in uh, conjunction with working with um, our union leadership, had developed um, a wellness committee. Um, and I think it was like a either a year or a year and a half uh, leading up to the pandemic. Obviously, we had no idea a pandemic was going to happen, but we were already really wanting to introduce our um, our employees to mindfulness and, um, you know, just kind of build a, help them build a toolbox of things um, that will help them regulate themselves and um, just help with their overall um, mental health and well-being. So we were, you know, um, as the, the, the committee that we... Uh, uh, formed um, its its union and uh, its frontline staff and um, management, and uh, we really kind of um, hashed it out together in terms of what the mandate was and what kind of things uh, we were going to work on. Um, so, you know, and then we're in the midst of a pandemic. So we started, um, we do things like we have uh, yoga classes. One of our staff is a yoga instructor, and she does online classes. And um, even during the pandemic, we've, we've been able to do some um, really cool meetups, because um, not like, not everybody's going to like everything. So we've been really intentional about, um, you know, kind of introducing people to a wide variety of um, self, like things to help ground them and, 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 and help them in terms of uh, regulating themselves. So for some people, it's hikes. For some people, it's rock climbing. For some people, it's gardening. For some people, it's art. Um, but just the whole idea is to really kind of connect people with um, different things and help them find that thing that might be uh, more meaningful and relevant to them. And uh, we also started a peer, um, we call it Peer Connect. So it's an app. Uh, we're struggling a little bit of uh, getting it off the ground, but um, basically um, staff identify um, people that they they feel safe and comfortable in reaching out if they um, um, you know, need some help or need someone to talk to or maybe need to be directed to some um, uh, community resources. And um, um, so, you know, I think we're just really proud of some of, those things that we're trying to really help people be 
aware of their their um, yeah. mental health and well-being. And like I said, you had a bit of a head start because you guys were doing this and thinking about this long before. And the the talk that I saw, and this is why I'm so excited to speak with you. The talk that I saw you do, you really spoke a lot about trauma. And, and you were, you know, this was a few years ago, but you were talking about Stephen Porges and you were talking about some of the work around trauma and, and how, you know, when we are activated internally, how can we really provide and be there for, for other people when, when our own systems aren't regulated? And uh, so I just, I think, I think we really need to amplify the work that you guys are doing because I think you're kind of ahead of the pack on this one. Um, but Cindy, I, I want to make sure we hear you pipe in on this, and then we'll. And then I'm really curious to hear Lisa's thoughts a little bit more around, around um, some of the theories around around um, looking after ourselves and regulating. But yeah, Cindy, what 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 are your some of your thoughts on? Yeah, on just to kind of echo what Lisa said is, yeah, we do have this our wellness committee, and it's made up of of frontline staff, unionized staff and management staff. And, and they come up with some amazing opportunities for staff. I mean, um, the hopes is to have more people participate. It's really hard sometimes to get people involved with stuff. But I think the more things that are offered, the more staff are going to become involved. And it's starting. Um, things are starting to pick up a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's just a great opportunity for staff to get out and do things. And Francis, um, who is on the, are one of our HR managers on it, she comes up with some really, really, really creative ideas for staff. Yeah, it's and I love also that you're really honoring the neurodiversity of our staff too. Hey, Lisa, like you're, you were saying, you know what? Some of them want to rock climb, some of them want to meditate, some of them hate yoga. You know, mm -hmm. like it's just. We, we can't tell everyone, sit down and take a breath, because that doesn't work for everyone, you know. Um, but it's a beautiful partnership that you guys have. It really sounds like everybody's engaged, and you're honoring the people on the ground actually doing the work. Um, Lisa, do you want to pipe in and share a little bit more about your your work? And I, I don't know if you're comfortable even to share the story, but I remember you talked about... Um, being, you know, and I think this is when you were in your director role before the pandemic, and there was someone who had had a suicide attempt, and you had to go and respond to that. And then you went home that night and sat on the couch after dealing with that and sort of wondered, how can I expect my staff to go out in the world and do this work? And how can I support them? Do, do you want to talk a little tiny bit about that? Yeah, that was that was a really powerful moment for me. Um, so we, we support a lot of um, uh, young adults, uh, transition aged youth that um, come in to our service when they're turning 18. And because of our geography and where we are, we also support a lot of um, Indigenous uh, young adults. And so, um, you know, obviously we have like so lots big like they have significant stories of intergenerational trauma, mm -hmm. addiction, all, all kinds of things that we, you know, we're still, we're still trying to learn about and understand. Mm -hmm. And um, this one young woman that we support had um, uh, a, a number of lethal suicide attempts. And, and one occasion I had to respond to it. And I just remember thinking, how are we asking people to do this? How, how are they showing up? 
the next day after they've witnessed, um, you know, um, these significant events. So it really led me down a journey and I'm still on it and still trying to figure it out about Mm -hmm. um, how do we equip our staff to be, to be, to be whole and to be able to, you know, to um, be resilient in this work um, Mm -hmm. after, um, you know, witnessing some of these, um, this pain and this, uh, these events that some of our young people are going through. So I'm a big Gabor Mate fan, uh, so I've listened to a lot of, read a lot of his stuff, and and we we listen to a lot of his videos and talk a lot about, um, you know, his whole thing is about taking care of yourself and being really aware of how you're showing up in the work, so that you're not personalizing, um, you know, some of the struggles that you're you're uh, witnessing in some of the young people that you're serving, and then also um, that sort of led me down into um, discovering. Uh, polyvagal theory and um, how how we all have a nervous system and how um, what state we might find ourselves in and, and, and how that state can shift if something triggers us, whether it's at home or at work, and um, how, to, um, how to regulate yourself when um, you, you might be triggered into like a, you know, a sympathetic or light, fight and flight kind of uh, uh, state or, you know, a shutdown, disassociated, disconnect um, kind of state. So, we're um, kind of delving a little bit into polyvagal theory and trying to get, um, trying to understand and practice around that. Um, uh, again, we're just beginning and we're, we're on a, I think it's a really exciting journey, but what, well, that also, the more I read about that, the more I realized, um, so it's not just our young people that have been traumatized. It's also the other people that we serve um, in our more traditional supports that have been, uh, you know, institutionalized or removed from families at a young age. And, you know, the whole experience of, of being on the outside of, of belonging and, and, uh, and, and, you know, there's trauma and, and childhood adversity in that as well. So really, I think it applies to all of our work. And uh, um, I'm, we're, you know, we still have a lot more to learn, but um, we're just sort of excited that we kind of stumbled across this because it's, it's fairly... I don't know why, but it's not something um, that we kind of talk about in our sector. And I think it's very applicable in all the work that we do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. And I just, I think enough, enough people don't really, don't really, you know, bring that up. And, you know, Lisa, you say that, and I'm going to just read out a quote that you shared recently on your Facebook page, which I think really speaks to what you're talking about. And this is uh, Basil Vanderkoek and the, the post that you shared um, was being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. A, can you can you say anything about that, Lisa, in terms of your role as a director, like about what that quote means to you? Yeah. So for me, that that um, I try I try to think of that constantly, whether it's in a conversation you're having with a coworker, um, or whether it's uh, in a meeting that you're having, because we can all get triggered in meetings and you know can feel um, uh, uh, that we can't speak our truth or that we can't challenge an idea. Um, I think about it for the people we support and you know how they live and and um, you know how how they relate. Uh, how they are, are are in the community, how they are with their families. Um, it's I, I just I think it's it's fundamental in everything that we do, and, and to me, it's important in all parts of our life. I think about it in terms of my family. Um, you know, just really trying to be aware of 
when I'm with someone, am I, am I present with them? Do they feel witnessed to witnessed and listened to? And, you know, it's a, it's a life, it's an ongoing practice. It's just, you know, really trying to be aware of it. Am I, am I sending out cues of safety in my interactions with people or am I sending out cues of danger? You know, it's just sort of really developing, I think, an awareness about it and your interactions and your voice tone and, and your, your body language and how you're interacting with people. Because if you can settle people down and help them to feel present and grounded, um, you know, you can you can have a, a far a far more uh, uh, rich conversation. And I think ideas are more um, you're more creative and people just you can people feel safer to share and to think out loud together and, and come to solutions. Oh, I hope everybody's absorbing that message loud and clear because it's so critical. And uh, and I love, Lisa, how you said not only with the people we support in meetings that we're in, like everywhere we go, right? So that is um, such a critical, critical message. I think one of the most important messages. Um, and Cindy, do you want to add anything more like in, in kind of tying in with... Um, with this whole message of looking after ourselves, looking after staff, looking after the people we support. Of course, we have to do advocacy at the kind of ministry level, as Lisa started off by saying. But Cindy, what, what do you think we can do the best to, to help developmental services staff? Like you're, you're with the union, like what, what does staff need the most from, from people in leadership? Um, let me think here. And by I the think... way, you, you can say money. <laughs> so many people have said, we hope that the pandemic pay does not get removed. Anyway, I've, I've heard that from a lot of staff. Yeah, I, I don't even like that is so that's such an obvious answer. All, any anybody wants more money, right? Um, and more money would be great. But I mean, at the end of the day, people need to love their jobs. And loving your job comes from the top down. So when you have, when you have your managers respecting the work you do and giving you opportunities to improve the work that you do, I think that goes a long way as well. I totally agree. And I remember years ago reading a research study that, you know, was asking staff, it wasn't developmental services, it was in another sector, maybe corporate, but what would you rather have? An increase in pay or an increase in respect for the work that you do from your management. And mm -hmm. people opted for increase in respect. And then I guess it's like, okay, then how do we help management learn how to show that respect? So yeah, it's a journey. We'll we'll keep working on this. We've got we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? Hopefully coming out of this pandemic we can all grow and uh, just keep trying to make things better. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa, did you want to add anything to Cindy's comments there? And then, then I want to ask you guys if you want to try a, a brief practice and we'll talk about a practice we can do. Yeah, um, I, I think um, I think money is, I think it's both. I think, um, I think it is an underpaid sector and it's been like that for as long as I've been in it. So I, I honestly don't think it should be an either or question. I think it should be both. Um, and, you know, we're all works in progress. Um, it's not like we don't, we screw up all the time and we make mistakes. So I think it's about um, 
one of the things that I think like we, we try to um, build into our culture is an understanding that we need to be our, our authentic selves mm -hmm. when we show up in our work. So um, like I've worked in places before where, you know, if you had the hard stuff happening at home, there was this sort of unwritten expectation that, well, you don't bring that to work, you know, but how can you not? Like, so, so um, I think the only thing I'd like to add, I think, is to the money and the respect part is the, is the, um, the realization that we've all got a lot of stuff happening at any given time in our lives. And you can't just always leave that at the door. You sometimes are going to bring it into work. And I think you need um, to create some empathy around that for people and um, really help people feel um, that it's okay to be where you're at that day um, and that um, not to feel like that you have to uh, you know kind of stuff that down come to work and pretend that everything's okay because clearly it's not yeah. and um, the other I just want to add this to that yeah. um, I just want to um, <laughs> I, I want to share that um, I want to share that I really value the gifts that Cindy brings to her role as union president because um, honestly I don't think we're, we would be doing as well as we are as an organization in this pandemic if it wasn't for her uh, her honesty and her um, tenaciousness around um, the advocacy for uh, our staff um, she um, has she has no problem bringing concerns forward and you know sometimes I'm like oh really it's like seriously like you know didn't we do that and um, but what, I, what I've what I've come to appreciate is that like like it's easy to get complacent and especially in the middle of a crisis and I honestly believe we're still in the middle of a crisis you know I don't see an end to this anytime soon yeah and um just because like it's so it's so easy to forget or miss or not understand um, what that day-to-day -day ex experience is like for staff. So I just, I really value her ability to be um, uh, tenacious in bringing concerns forward and bringing solutions too, and being an equal partner in um, um, the, the, you know, the, the decisions we have to make that's just, you know, constantly seem to be changing all the time um, around how to keep people safe. So I think a, a, a huge part of our, um, our, uh, I don't want to say success, uh, but um, our um, our ability to weather this um, has come from her. Oh, Cindy, you got oh, to respond stop, to Lisa. that. <laughs> you got to respond to that. Um, well, Lisa is an amazing leader to work with. Um, I could not imagine having gone through this with any other executive director. Um, and I don't think anyone, I don't think there's any other agency in Ontario that, within community living that has done as well as we have as far as getting this pandemic and or dealing with this pandemic. Um, we've been really fortunate. Um, anytime there's any type of emergency, she's on it. Mm -hmm. um, like it's just been an amazing, it's been an amazing experience, one that I never want to have to go through again yeah. and one that we, I hope, ends soon. But I was going to also add to that. I know that, um, Lisa is all about people's core gifts and taking advantage of that when it comes to um, supporting people and just even part of the wellness committee, um, bringing people's talents forward to help other people. Like we've used, um, we have a, a member who's a yoga instructor, so we're using her talents. Mm -hmm. um, we have a couple of artists that, um, well, one artist in particular, and he does painting classes and art classes. So it's using what people have 
for the enrich to enrich everybody's lives within the community within the agency so i think that's really important to mention yeah exactly and then people feel celebrated and honored and seen and valued and and everybody wins right because they're bringing their strengths and they're being you know it's it's beautiful you guys are you guys really are shining examples of of what we want in in leadership so this has just been such a gift to uh to speak with you too and we'll have links in our um like in the the write-up that we share on the page to uh anything that you guys want to share so let us know and lisa will obviously share some links you mentioned um uh stephen porges and uh gabra mate who uh another amazing person so we'll, we'll have a few links for people to do a bit more reading on this too that's awesome and um, so with that, uh, with these amazing women, and I think we're going to have to have you guys back to talk more, you know, after we get further through this pandemic. Um, but we've been ending off our, uh, our podcast with a brief practice for staff. Now, Lisa and I have connected a little bit about our love of straw breathing. And I wondered if you wanted to do a really brief straw breathing practice. I'm happy to lead us through a brief one and then just do a little bit of sitting with the, uh, the experience of supporting people going through challenges. Or Lisa, do you have anything you want to say about straw breathing first? Yeah, um, I, I, I like it because um, I, I, I've done a lot of breath work and that works for me. That's something that helps me regulate myself. And um, I like straw breathing because you can do it anywhere. You can do it on an airplane. You can do it in your office. You can do it in your bedroom. Like it's very portable. So and it's one that works for me really well. If I do like a, usually I do about um, four or five breath cycles, uh, maybe once a day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and it really just sort of calms me down, um, you know, and the science behind it is it's, it's uh, sending a signal to my brain that um, I'm not in danger, right? So it's just, you know, the, the, the magic of, of the neuroscience and the nervous system is working and it's really a simple, simple exercise. So I, I really like it and it's very portable. I love it. And, and Lisa, can I add that um, Lisa admitted to stealing uh, straws <laughs> from her kids <laughs> to do it. So I actually sent Lisa a little bamboo straw in the mail. Which was um, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, well, why don't, why don't we, uh, can we try a brief, can I just lead us through a very, very brief taste of this? Um, how's that sound? Yeah, I'm really excited on a personal note. I have a son with autism and he's struggling with his anxiety right now so it's really really bad so I'm really excited to share this one with him oh amazing amazing and so we have this podcast that's for staff but we also have a video podcast uh where we do a whole straw breathing exercise uh um that's more geared for autistic adults and uh um young adults and uh that that might be a fun one too but yeah yeah this is a uh, great okay so let's uh let's do it okay so let's get into a position, uh, like Lisa said, it's totally portable and you can do it anywhere you are. But when we do a little bit of this breath practice, if we really want to set intention, it can be helpful to just straighten our backs a little bit, sit up a little bit straighter and feel free to just move your head around, release any tension in the neck, feel free to do a couple of shoulder rolls and just hold that intention in the body so you're sitting in a position in which you're going to just pay full attention 
So if you have a straw with you, you can have that available right now, or you can do this later when you get a straw. If you don't have a straw, this is also often called pursed lips breathing. And here's the funny thing is you don't want to tense up your face when you're doing it because the objective with all this stuff is to wire the brain, wire those neural pathways to release the fight, flight or fright, just letting go. And so we don't want to tense up the lips, but if you hold your hand in front of your lips, almost like a straw, just try exhaling through that right now. If you don't have a straw, And you'll notice that you're able to activate your diaphragm a little bit more, which sends, like Lisa was saying, this, this signal to the vagus nerve. So let's try right now just doing a few breaths, and then we'll just sit and hold some space for the, the work we do. So let's begin right now. Close your eyes if you're comfortable to do that. And let's just take in a nice deep breath, feeling the belly expanding out. Now, if you have that straw or hold your hand, breathe out and don't force the exhalation, but let it be smooth, nice, long, smooth exhalation, paying attention to what it's like at the end, allowing the in-breath to be natural and nice and deep again. And then when you exhale, either through that straw or through the holding your hands like a little straw, smooth, long exhalation, allowing the in-breath to be natural and full. And one more exhalation, relaxing the body. Let it be smooth and long. Now we'll just try a couple with counting. So in your own time, Let's just do three breaths and breathing in, allowing the belly to expand out so you're being nourished and healed with that breath. And then counting to six on the exhalation. Breathing in to four. Exhaling again to six, so you're breathing into four, exhaling to six. Try that in your own time. And then allowing the breath just to go natural. So sitting with the eyes closed, if that's comfortable, and Continuing to just allow the natural rhythm of the breath to flow in and out. And with every exhalation, can you let go of something you can let go of right now? And let's take note of where we might be holding that fight, flight, or freeze response, sometimes even during the day, we just hold. It could be something from childhood or something that happened today. Might hold tension in our jaws, maybe in our forehead, maybe pounding in our heart, butterflies in the belly, even sweating in the fist. Whatever it is that you might be holding in the body, let it go on the out breath and just give yourself permission. Right now, I'm okay. I'm safe. 
thanking our bodies for looking after us, for feeling like we need to put in those protective instincts, but giving ourselves permission. It's okay. Thank you for looking after me. I can let go right now. Just allowing the belly to breathe fully and just letting go. And sometimes it's just paying attention to where it is. We're holding something. And if it's something very strong, very big from childhood, just not opening that up deeply right now, but just holding it, feel free to place a hand of love and compassion on your body where you feel that. And just letting yourself know it's okay. I'm safe. I'm supported where I am right now. And then doing some more of those cleansing breaths, just even allowing yourself to breathe into that place where you may be holding. And then as you breathe out, just allowing yourself to befriend gravity, getting heavier, letting go. You have full permission to just let go right here, right now. And the more we can wire the brain in these moments of stillness that we can just cultivate, even for a few moments, like Lisa said, a few times a day. Just wire the brain to bring compassion for what you might be holding and just put it down, let it go. See if you can allow yourself to just become soft. There's tension, there's holding, anxiety, just honoring it not beating ourselves up for it, but loving it, feeling it, and just giving yourself permission to let it go. And then doing one more cleansing breath in. And again, placing a hand on the body where you may be holding something. And if this is useful to you, just imagining that right now you are surrounded by a layer of protection and compassion. Even just under the layer of skin, the epidermis, underneath that is a layer of pure healing light and protection holding you in loving awareness, letting you know it's safe, letting you know you're okay. Feeling that in the body. If you're someone who's more visual, you might even feel light, feel healing inside the body, and letting that emanate, fill those parts of yourself where you might be holding, and just letting go. And another breath in, and another exhalation. And when you're ready, you can just open the eyes, stretch the body if you need to, and then come back to that later. Lisa, I know you do a lot of this practice yourself. Do you have anything else you want to share for people to take care of themselves with techniques like this? Um, for me, um, uh, some of my practices that work for me really well are uh, yoga. Just, uh, you know, 40 minutes a day, nothing, nothing uh, uh, too strong. Just some gentle stretching really helps me 
um, you know, uh, kind of loosen up the tension and uh, just be more flexible and more present in my own body. It, it really helps me to integrate my my mind and my body. And uh, um, pr probably photography that really, for one thing, it gets me out in nature and I absolutely love being out in nature. That really grounds me. And um, I think just the creative aspect of photography um, really invigorates me as well. Um, and, and probably walking. Uh, I enjoy walking. Um, I'm trying to develop a practice of walking two or three times a week um, right now while the weather's beautiful. Um, but I think the movement and just the, you know, you can kind of sort of almost kind of meditate sort of when you're walking. And that's really helped me as well. I love it all. I love it all. And Lisa, I'm going to ask if you happen to have a photograph um, from one of your meditative nature hikes that you'd be willing to let us share um, to link to on the podcast. That would be so beautiful because your photography is breathtaking. Thank you. Oh. I would love to do that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. And Cindy, any other um, comments on what you want to say, like what you think, what, what are some things you use? Um, to help you kind of, as Lisa was saying, kind of regulate and kind of be present? Um, my go-to um, is I work out. So I do HIT um, high intensity interval training. I do that about four or five times a week. So that's, that is what has kept me going throughout this pandemic. Even when the gyms were closed, I was still consistently working out. So that was my my mental health oh, you guys are my role models in so many ways it's been such a gift to talk to you seriously this has been an amazing talk thank you so much both of you and um i can't wait to continue the conversation you know in the work that we do is this big team i always think of us in developmental services as this forest each of us is this tree we're all rooted and grounded and we're all connected all across the world so there you guys are in thunder bay your beautiful majestic trees and uh and i'm glad that we're all we're all part of this big team together and i'm so so happy to have everyone hear your thoughts thank you so much thank you it was a pleasure thank you thank you for listening this podcast has been brought to you by the CAMH Azraeli Adult Neurodevelopmental Center in Toronto that always feels like such a mouthful and it's in uh, partnership with the Provincial Network on Developmental Services and funded by the Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services. The podcast is part of the Cultivating Community Wellness Initiative. Thank you to our very own Katie Cardiff, who has edited these sessions for your listening pleasure. And thank you musician and producer Kevin Laliberté who has put together the beautiful music that you are hearing in these episodes. Most of all, thank you to all of you out there in developmental services doing the work that is so important and so unseen. We celebrate you and thank you. Take care and we'll see you next week. <laughs>